Welcome to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigic. And I'm Roy Vandewater. And today we've got some topics for you that come straight from the trenches. Um, and I would also like to point out that it's the 100th episode. Yay! Although if you were to add them all up, we probably missed a few, so this is probably really 96 or something. That's true. Counting, counting isn't one of our strong suits. And then there's special episodes, and then there's all the episodes that we recorded but lost. But I would encourage you to go back and listen to all of them and check and see if we're right or not. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is kind of an interesting thing that, Roy, you've been, um, you've got a team that you're working with where they, uh, from what I understand, they made a working agreement that no one can work as a silo. Mm-hmm. They have to be working with someone on everything. Now there's a problem when there's an odd number of people. So how have you guys been solving that? So our solutions for the last few months has been to do something that we call trying. I've also heard stooging for three people because it's the three stooges. So Oh, I was thinking that the third person's a stooge. I know. <laughs> I don't really have a high opinion of it based off of uh, the experience that I've had with it because I've actually joined in on some of the uh, – I've actually been one of the three in the in the try. And um, the common pattern of what I see is there will be two people working and one person watching, right, because we do like the two keyboard pairing. So um, when you have two people working and one person watching, the one person watching is not really usually contributing. In some cases, they're contributing a little bit because they happen to be the person who has the knowledge, but if – the primary knowledge holder is the one that's driving. Like, forget it. The person that's in the back is going to stay there and is not going to. Is it going to be nodding off before too long? Yeah, I've heard a lot of people that try and defend this sort of thing, and they make it sound like um, it's really easy for everyone to be engaged and they can learn a lot just by watching. But I don't think I've ever seen that in practice. All I can say is, for me personally, I can't stay engaged. Like, I am not physically capable of it. I've, I tried today. I was like, t- today I was doing some tripping this earlier today, and I was like peering over the other two shoulders going like oh okay guys and it <laughs> you was felt like you were in the back seat kind right of like. i felt like a voyeur watching two other people <laughs> code. yeah no and I, I think that in, the thing that i always think about when i hear this sort of thing or people suggest this is that they haven't really done pairing i think if you if you've really done pairing right. and you know what it's like to have that back and forth you know that it's impossible to have a third person there yeah it just doesn't i mean i've heard of people taking it to extremes and even doing mob programming <laughs> and like i couldn't imagine having five people like i can't even do it with three well, the thing, that, the thing that's different about mob programming, at least, is that there's one person driving and everyone else is participating. That's true. Everybody else is shouting along. That's true. You're not the odd man out. You're the odd man in at that point. Right. Because so. I, think, I think it makes a difference when, at least the pictures I've seen that um, you know, from mob programming, there's usually the one person that's kind of in the front, and then that's the true. other people are kind of behind. So maybe we should switch up our mob programming, our trying strategy, and instead of two people behind and one person up front on the keyboard. Do you I think know, that you have any... Um, like I think space is kind of a limitation. I mean, not everyone has the perfect setup for pairing, and let alone a setup where you can see over someone. It's not like you have stadium seating, right? That's true. Yeah, I can't. When I'm in the back, like I'm either in the back or way off to the side and can't read a thing, even if we turn the font size up. Which so w- one thing I've heard um, that you've mentioned, and I've heard other people say this, and I kind of hinted at it, is that it's a good way to learn. But I don't really think that that's a like that's not necessarily the team trying to get to have like a culture of learning. No. Um, Originally it was though. Originally the problem was we had silos on particular stories and we had a problem with cherry picking as well that nobody would call out on because the team was still in the forming stage. So you'd have a you'd have a common thing where like a story would involve a particular technology and somebody would be like, well I'm familiar with that. I'm gonna go ahead and take that and work on it by myself and then nobody else would have the knowledge transfer. And this was to combat that and I think it was really effective and originally I think it was probably a necessary step for us at first. Do you think that it has helped people that have a skills gap and like close that skills gap, or do you still see this kind of the same people that started out with a gap 
are they still in that same phase? That's a that's a good point. I mean, it it depends, right? Some people have, still have a bit of a skills gap, and I think so. I think pairing is a really great tool for teaching and for learning, but only if everybody is actually in it for that. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, it can also be a really great tool for I just want to coast along. And I'm just going to pair with a bunch of people who do all the work, and then I never have to do anything. Well, especially if you're not driving, right? If you're the guy in the back, you can pretty much get by by just seeming like you're paying well, attention. Even if, even if you're driving, especially when you're driving, it's actually probably easier to get away with that. You can just be like, just blindly stenographer everything somebody else says, right? You don't well, have to understand okay. anything that goes on. That's a good point. So uh, and then that's one of those things where uh, I think if, you're, if you've got someone who's driving that maybe does have that skills gap, um, as the navigator, you have to kind of find some creative ways to kind of guide them towards the right direction, but not necessarily tell Give them what to type, yeah. right? Yeah, it's true. It's difficult and it's frustrating because I've paired before with people like that where they sit there and uh, look and like, I'll not type anything until you tell me exactly what to type. Yeah, know? right, right. Oh, or, or they kind of act frustrated. But I always wonder, is it a, is it like they just have a fear of getting it wrong? Like they're just afraid to fail and so, you know, they wouldn't start? Yeah, I've been I've been part of a team before where... Or when uh, two people were pairing, one one person was a, a, like a junior developer and the other person was a senior developer from, from back in the era when they had titles. And um, I saw the junior developer do something, like type something out and make an attempt that it was probably, I don't even remember what the specific case was. It was something that was pretty basic, but he like took a stab at it and took like a paradigm from one language that works in that language but doesn't work in this one or something. And the other person was like, oh, you're so stupid. Like, I can't believe you just did that. And, like, made everybody from the team gather around and look at it and be like, look what he just did. And it's like, that person never took any risks anymore after that. They're like, I'm not typing anything until unless I know for sure that it's correct. Yeah, you were talking earlier about um, the kind of concept of, like, acting stupid so that you don't look right. dumb. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Acting I thought dumb that was so you interesting. don't look dumb. Yeah, but how do you explain that? So, so the idea of that is, like, the, uh, the like, hey, um... Instead of trying and looking dumb, and then everybody like makes fun of me for being dumb, I'm instead going to be dumb on purpose. That way, nobody can really make fun of me because I'm the first person to do it. Mm. You know what I mean? So kind of like, take like the sting out of like they can right. make a joke about it. Oh, okay, right? It's kind of like the way that you'd like work with a bully at 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 school. You know, you'd be like, "Well, I'm going to go ahead and make fun of myself first, and then that way the bully can't make fun of me for it." And that's really effective. So really, maybe the core problem isn't the person being bullied. Maybe the the problem is the bully. Uh, so, like, I think on that team, if if the team kind of chastises someone for getting it wrong, that doesn't necessarily sound like they have like a learning culture, right? Yeah, but I mean, we used to have this. We used to have this culture at Integrum. Like, remember when we'd have fun with that? Like, you and Jade and I used to do it all the time. Like, if we catch each other doing something stupid, we'd be like, "Hey, look what you did!" And then like make a big deal about it because it was funny, but we'd be okay with it. Yeah, I guess there was something different about that, right? Because I think we we kind of internalized that maybe as a um, it wasn't making fun of like we we acknowledged the failure maybe and so we thought it was okay and it was kind of a learning experience. Yeah, I mean we still do that. That's true. Yeah. So what is it different? What's different about our team than maybe an average agile team? Maybe it's because from? we feel like we're on equal footing where and we are doing it in a sense of camaraderie and to like communicate. I don't think we have that fear of failing, right? That, that too. Like we're not but afraid of it. What, what I'm thinking also is like what I see on the, some of the teams where I've seen this before is that it is a way of putting somebody in their place and maintaining the status quo of like ranks. Like, like social order right. kind of thing? If I'm the senior developer, like i got to make fun of the junior developer when they screw up or else they're going to be senior developer. And if we're all senior developers, how can I be better than everybody else? Hmm. 
Yeah, I, I I think that makes sense. I wonder how actually how like pervasive that is. I'm sure there's a lot of people that um, kind of self identify as senior developers and they would want to hold on to that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So I could see that. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of along those lines, in terms of you know, well, a, a lot of the reasons I think I've seen that senior people will either take control and drive all the time and they leave the junior people behind is that they want to get stuff done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that your team has been experimenting a lot with kind of pushing the boundaries between having fun and getting things done. Yep. Um, you know, does it is that kind of a hard line to walk or? Well, it's really difficult, especially when it seems like when we're having the most fun and feel like we're least productive. It's It oftentimes turns out we were actually pretty productive, but then other times we're not productive at all. So it's, it's like we had a... Like a good example is we had a planning ceremony uh, about a week ago where normally it takes us about an hour and a half to task out a sprint, right? And in this case, we like we were laughing the entire time and we were throwing index cards around. And I got a, I got a picture. I think I showed it to you. Yeah. But I mean, the entire place was trash. There's index cards everywhere, which we all picked up, don't worry, <laughs> but before the end. And we were like, like we felt like it was the least productive thing ever. And we're like an hour later, we're done with our sprint planning, and like we're like, like we can't have more planning sessions like this because it's just chaos and unmaintainable. But then we thought, at least when we step back to look at it, we're like, but wait, we just planned out a sprint's worth of work in one hour when it normally takes us an hour and a half, and it was a blast. So, yeah, I think sometimes you know when you're having fun, the time flies, right? So you don't really notice that sort of thing. It doesn't really drag. Right. Um, I wonder what it is, though. You know, did anyone was anyone on the team like kind of frustrated with that? Did they maybe were some people not having fun, and so they thought it was unproductive? I don't know. I know I like personally in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this is fun, but God, I'm gonna get in trouble later when it turns out we don't have anything done to the, you know, we don't have any sprint work. Like huh. we're gonna get reamed. So I guess that maybe is that like a was that your conscious telling you maybe I'm having too much fun or right exactly I need to kind of reel it in a bit? Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point you made about kind of that stepping back and reflecting on it. Because um, I'm sure in every team, there's kind of varying levels of how much fun they want to have. I mean, I think most, most Agile teams, to some degree, value fun, but I think a lot of them probably don't value it enough. And a lot don't. of people are scared of them. Right. I mean... Like scared uh, to have fun, you mean? Scared to have fun or scared to be seen having fun because then their managers think they're not doing work. Right. So. Yeah, I guess the traditional thing is if you're having fun at work, then you're not working. Right, exactly. Which is pretty sad. But right. work's got to suck. I, we've, I've worked with people where, where we try to have fun. They said, hey, we came here to work. Like, we're here to work. I come here, like, show up and do my work and go home and I can have fun at home, but that's, this is not the time and place for it. It's yeah. like, how miserable is that? You spend, you spend like a third of your life here and you're not allowed to have fun. Right. So I think a lot of Agile teams kind of embrace the idea of having fun. Um, but. Yeah, but maybe they don't spend enough time reflecting on how much fun they're having or maybe, like, where that boundary is. I mean, I, I think the amount, like, the boundary between having fun and, pro- and being productive is kind of a moving target. Uh, I think you can, if you have a lot of fun and you're getting a lot of stuff done, then usually right. people don't seem to notice, right? Right. But definitely there have been times when, when uh, we have a lot of fun and nothing gets done. That's true. Uh, so how does your team kind of compromise or how do they like mitigate that on a side note real quick like it's funny how that perception happens because you remember today you walked over to our team because you all of a sudden heard us be silent and said hey it sounds like you guys are finally starting to get some work done because we've been screwing around right and the ironic part was is the reason we're all silent because we all turned back to look at our email and stopped working for that little bit yeah so that was exactly when we were not working was when you (laughs) thought we were working the hardest that is interesting 
So I guess the the perception from the outside could be pretty misleading. Yeah. You know, if you don't know the how the team is operating. Yeah. Uh, how much do the like when you guys you know are having fun? Um, like how much does that play into creating that kind of learning culture? Like, do you guys try and do you try and have fun as a means of learning? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if it's a way a means of learning. Although learning should definitely be fun, but. If you make work fun, then you make people passionate outside of work. Like, if your work is dreary, then why would you spend your free time getting better at it? You know? Okay. It's like, I hate programming, so the last thing I'm going to do at night when I'm sitting at home is program. I'm going to watch TV or read a book or whatever it is that you do, right? But if your work is fun, then all of a sudden you're like, man, this is great. Like, I really... Because programming is awesome if you if you have fun at it and you work with good people. And, like, it can be a really fun experience. Like... With uh, Startup Weekend, we got together the group just for fun. We programmed for fun. Like, nobody paid us. We made a product we knew we were going to throw away at the end. Right? That's true. And it was, just a, it was just a blast to work that way. So if, if that type of thing is true and you enjoy what you do, then all of a sudden you're going to – it's going to become worth it to you in, in the in, to, like, spend your free time learning it too. Because you're like, well, this is fun at work. Like, I'm going to do this as a hobby. And I'm going to get better at it, which in turn makes your work more fun. So it's like it all of a sudden starts feed back, like feeding back on itself. Hmm. Yeah, I think – Fun is definitely underestimated. I think it's talked a lot about in kind of the agile community and mm-hmm. I think it's really gamification and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I think it's a team value. It probably goes um, underrepresented. Although right. I feel like at a human level, everybody wants to have fun. Right. Even what? the people that say they don't want to have fun at work, like they want to have fun. But I think most of the time when fun is brought up during like a retrospective or, uh, or something of that nature, it is almost always, in my experience, in the context of we are having too much of it and we need to cut back. That's true. What's interesting is that the talk isn't we aren't productive enough and we need to be more productive or we need to hit our sprint. It's we are having too much fun. Like that's our biggest bottleneck is clearly if the fun was less, the work would be more. <laughs> so maybe that's just kind of a like a knee-jerk reaction to some kind of old way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Like then everyone's kind of baked into their mindset about how work is supposed to be. Yeah. And, and so that's why they want to dial back the fun. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Okay, well, I think we are about out of time. there's something you'd like to hear in a future episode head over to enneagramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news techniques and events in the agile community sign up today at agileweekly.com it's the best agile content delivered weekly for free the agile weekly podcast is brought to you by enneagram technologies and recorded at gangplank studios in chandler arizona for old episodes check out enneagramtech.com or subscribe on itunes need help with your agile transition Have a question and need to phone a friend? Try calling the Agile Hotline. It's free. Call 866-244-8656.